we uh, we're so glad to worship with you guys this morning, and uh, want to uh, uh, just say a quick thank you to uh, all the folks that uh, helped make the consignment sale happen over the last uh, few days this past week. Uh, it's such a huge undertaking, and uh, uh, and they do it well. It's it's honestly amazing to me what they're able to do in a short amount of time, and uh, everybody that's helped tear down, set back up, and clean up, and uh, all the things, work it, and all those things. Thank you so much. Uh, that, that, that goes to do a lot of ministry in the, at the end of the day, and a lot of ministry happens during that, too. I think that's probably uh, the thing that uh, I know my wife and other ladies talk to me about uh, is the people that they get to meet, the people they get to minister to one-on-one that come in here that would otherwise never be here. Uh, and uh, man, if there's any reason for doing it, it's it's that for sure. So, uh, but anyway, we uh, we're glad that uh, glad that, uh, that went well. Um, we uh, we're in our series, Idle Factory, and uh, as I've been mentioning, and we'll keep mentioning uh, because I want to give credit where credit is due. It's based uh, around a book uh, that Tim Keller wrote, a pastor out of New York, uh, called Counterfeit Gods, uh, and it's just talking about how we. Uh, make idols out of things uh, over time, and uh, uh, this is this is the book. And uh, uh, if you haven't gotten to check it out, you might check it out. Uh, but we're we're basically walking through that together, and uh, uh, it's the first time I've ever preached through someone else's book per se. Uh, but uh, you know the, the the biblical context that that he gives, and and that it's based on. Uh, by itself really holds its weight, and, uh, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I was willing to do it. And, uh, and I think it's a good book, I think it's a good, you know, it's a good study for us, a good look at Scripture for us, uh, just to check our hearts and ask ourselves hard questions of, you know, what, what do we really worship? Um, you know, and it's easy to ask those questions and sometimes not be completely honest with ourselves. It's easy to ask those questions and just kind of be like, oh, you know, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to church. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm praying. I'm trying to pray every day, you know, stuff like that. I mean, and, and the truth is, is, is that, you know, and especially the one that was what we're talking about today, uh, the truth is, is that we oftentimes uh, are really good at hiding our hearts. Our hearts are good at hiding uh, the things that are truly our idols, truly the things that we worship. And so uh, maybe we just got to be careful about it. And, uh, and that's part of why uh, we're doing this series. And so, um, you know, uh, you know, sin sneaks up on us, and 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 the thing that we're studying on today specifically uh, sneaks up on us, and that is greed. Uh, greed. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those it's one of those words that like we're we're like oh you know I you know I'm not you know I don't I'm not greedy or you know whatever. And the, and the truth is this, and I and I, I read about a pastor who uh, said that. Uh, you know, over the years that he'd counseled, you know, all the people that he'd counseled, and he'd had people come and confess all kind of sin, but had never had anyone come confess that they were greedy. Think about that. And and, and I think there's a lot to, to go with that and, and why that's the case and, and how it kind of sneaks up on us. But I, I think in particular, this sin sneaks up on us more than other sins. We know a lot of times, like, blatantly when we're falling into other sins, something, even in the middle of it at times going, I know I, I know I shouldn't do this, I know I shouldn't be thinking about that, or, you know, whatever it is. And, and at the end of the day, the, this particular sin just kind of creeps in on us, and we don't realize that it's an issue sometimes for us. And, and we'll talk about, I think, why that is and, and some of the things. And Keller brings up some great points with this. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, have, uh, but I personally 
am very familiar with the term money pit. I own lots of money pits. If, if you uh, own an old house, if you own an old car, if you own a race car, if you own, I don't know, I, there's, there's lots, of, lots of ways to go with this, then you have probably what we might call a money pit. Uh, now you, and we may argue, oh, well, our money pits are still worth the money. You know, we have them, whatever. Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, I, I, I'll attest for my money pit. My money pit, above all the other money pits that I've had over the years, is a 1993 Ford Mustang Cobra that I have owned since I was 21 years old. Now, me and this car have a lot of history together. We've done a lot of things together. I'm not proud of all of them. Some of them I'm very proud of, and I shouldn't be, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but, you know, for whatever it is, I have held on to this car for such a long time. I'm, I'm 44 now, so you can do the math how long I've had the car. And, uh, you know, I have just, I have spent money on this car and spent money on this car over the years. You know, a lot of those years I was single. You know, I started working. I remember, I remember getting into college, and I was working three jobs and going to college and living at home with my parents, keeping, keeping the cost down so that the car parts could go up, right? And so, you know, small, small list of things that we've done to this car, supercharger, matrix braces, subframe connectors, underdrive pulleys, um, uh, uh, strut tower braces, uh, rear end completely set up, rear end gear, uh, a whole new racing suspension, uh, six-speed transmission like what's used in the Dodge Viper, um, redid the interior, repainted the car after I wrecked the car the second time, so we've rebuilt it twice. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, just it just goes on and on and on, you know, and so people, you know, I've had people over the years go, how much money do you think you got in that car? I'm like, I don't want to know. They're like, you don't even have a guess? I'm like, nope, don't want to know, you know. I think we look at something like that and we go, man, it's, you know, it's crazy how much money sometimes we'll spend on something, you know, over time and, uh, you know, and, and how much we give to something. And the truth is, is, is that, that, that that thing, that money pit of a thing, the truth is I think oftentimes uh, there's a bigger money pit in our lives with us wanting money. And some of you may say, well, Chris, I don't have a lot of money, so I, I'm, I'm not guilty of this. No. That's not necessarily true. Or you may be in the, you may be in the boat of saying, you know what, Chris? Uh, you know, we've done really well with our money, and we have, we have really set ourselves up where we don't, we don't spend a whole lot of money. We put almost all of our money back, and then we can afford to do things we want to do, whatever. And so I don't have a problem with that. That's also not necessarily true. It really just depends on where your heart is. And I can't tell you where your heart is. Your heart may be gold, and I hope it is. But I think it would be good for us to look through this together uh, and just examine our hearts and ask God to help us examine our hearts. Um, today, we're going to a passage of Scripture that's in the book of Luke. If you've got a Bible and you want to go there with us, we're going to uh, the book of Luke. And if uh, you don't have a Bible, our ushers will bring you a Bible. Uh, Luke 19 is where we're going to be going. And uh, if you think about how oftentimes the subject of greed comes up, it's not one of those things that we spend a whole lot of time talking about. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't like, 
you know, we're not usually like with our friends going, you know, how, how's your week? Oh, it's pretty good. But you know, I've really been struggling with greed this week. Anybody heard that lately? No. I mean, I mean we just never, that's not usually what's on the radar. That's not what we're thinking about. Um, and I think part of that has to do with, and Keller talks about this, uh, Keller talks about a lot about what I'm, I'm saying today, so just, you know, he gets all the credit, whatever. Um, and and but th- this, the, the subject of this, the thought of this, that we put ourselves into a place in life, be that uh, the place where we live, the town that we live, the socioeconomic uh, group of people that we are around. And when we do that, oftentimes I think what happens is we find ourselves surrounding ourselves with all of these other folks and we compare ourselves to them, uh, maybe without even realizing that we're comparing ourselves to them. Uh, and, and so what we do is we play this game of I don't have what they have or I don't live the way they do. And because of that, we make ourselves believe that greed is never an issue because a word, I'm not, I'm not greedy. I'm not greedy. They're, they're probably greedy because they have all this stuff that I secretly want, you know, or whatever it is, right? You know, and and so we we play these games in our head. We don't even realize that we're playing these games oftentimes in our head. And and we and we say things like this to ourselves. You know, our lives seem modest compared to them. Keller says only two percent of Americans would say that they are upper class. You want to know what the rest of the world believes about that? The rest of the world, and I'm talking about the world, I'm not talking about just, you know, down the street or something. The rest of the world would say that America is full of nothing but rich people. Rich people. They would, they, if they came to my house or they came to your house, they would say that we are absolutely 100% rich people. And the truth is, is they are right. But we don't see that. We see what we don't have, or we see what we have done and how we're trying to steward it well, and that's, that's a great thing for us to try to do that. But we, we still have to watch our hearts and all of that. Jesus warns us far more about greed than he actually does sex or lust. Yet almost no one thinks they are guilty of it. This passage of Scripture, Luke 19, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. And it has a song that goes with it. There's a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in sycamore tree. Yeah, you're maybe a little fuzzy on that. Something I think the Lord he wanted to see or something. I can't remember. I'm fuzzy on it too. <laughs> We're talking about say kiss today, and and in this passage of scripture, you know, uh, this was this was a this was a cute story as a kid growing up in Sunday school. Just to be honest with you, it was one of those stories that like I heard it and we heard it. And it was like okay, we got this guy and he's he's you know, short dude, you know, whatever, and, you know, apparently people don't like him, and, you know, there's some of that kind of stuff going on. But if you really look at this passage of Scripture, it shows us 
a lot of things. And I want to look at it together. Luke 19, verse 1, and it says this. It says, He entered Jericho, talking about Jesus, and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. We'll stop there. So Jesus comes through town, and as he's coming through town, there is a guy named Zacchaeus, and he is a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Let me give a little history to that. Uh, you know, and it's, I've been reading a little bit of history about that. Uh, you know, the, the, the deal with, with being a tax collector, uh, you know, in Israel at that point in time, you've got to imagine, and this is so important, I think, to understanding uh, the weight of just simple words like that, was that, you know, they were basically being occupied by the Roman Empire, and so the Roman Empire were the ones that were in Israel levying these taxes against the people there. So imagine this. We're just, we're just going to make something up here for fun here, okay? Imagine Canada gets their stuff together and they come and invade America, okay? And then while they're here, their military forces appoint people who are Americans to be tax collectors to collect money for Canada and for the Canadian armed forces who are here trying to control us. That's basically what was happening here. And so any of the tax collectors at this point in time in history there in Israel were people that were working for the Roman government who were mostly traitors of their own people who basically had become sellouts, and guess why? For money. They got paid wonderfully. In fact, not only did they get paid, they got to determine however much more they wanted to charge. So let's say, let's say the Roman Empire wanted to charge you 50% on everything that you made last week, well, Zacchaeus, being a tax collector, could come along and say, well, this week it's 75%. And per the Roman Empire's rules, that was okay with them. They wanted the tax collectors to be able to make whatever they could. And so they did. Not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, but if you look there, he was a chief tax collector. So he's a chief, he's a chief tax collector. He's like a, so now he's like a chief trader who basically is a sellout for his people to get all the money he can and they know he's a rich man. This dude is not liked on top of the fact that in that culture at that time if you had a ton of money, you weren't thought well of. Kind of the opposite of what we think of in culture, you know, with people with money. A lot of times we, we think well of people with money. We go, oh, well, they must be really smart or they, you know, whatever. You know, and the truth is in this situation, no. People with a lot of money oftentimes were not thought well of. And Zacchaeus himself being a chief tax collector, uh-uh. This brother probably didn't have a friend, one, except other tax collectors. And even at that, he had to be careful because he's chief tax collector. So he couldn't get too close to the guys that are working for him. He's got to keep them, you know, at bay, right? Paul says greed comes as a form of idolatry. 
He talks about this in Colossians 3.5 and Ephesians 5.5. 5. We're not looking at that today. We are looking at Luke 12.15. And he says here in Luke 12.15, he says, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, greed, okay? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know, this thought of greed sneaking in on our lives, you know, I see this, I see this, I see this in my kids sometimes, you know, that where they don't want to share, you know, something. You know, my, you know, we, my son has, I don't know, like a million monster trucks at this point. And I just bought him one. Uh, you know, because that's what we do, right? You know, oh, he doesn't have that one. We, you know, we got to get it. You know, all these little, little monster trucks. And, and he loves these things. I love that he loves them. And it's a lot of fun. And the kids will all play with them or whatever. But, you know, then Daisy comes along. And Daisy's like, I want to play with your monster trucks. And he's like, no, you're not playing with my monster trucks. I only have a million of them, you know. Why would I let you play with one? So this week I actually found her a pink school bus with donut tires monster truck, just like the others, and gave it to her. She has her own monster truck now. This is how we cope, right, in America. Take care, he says. And be on your guard against all covetousness. Take care. Watch out. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Maybe a question to ask is, does your life consist of the abundance of your possessions? Does your identity, do you place your identity in what you have built, what you have done, what you own, maybe in what you don't own, maybe you spend all your time thinking about what I don't have, it's a good indication. Jesus warns not to just be about love, the love of it, but the anxiety about it too. You know, if we are anxious about money constantly, then there's, there's, there's a problem there, you know. And, I, and, and I'm, you know, as normal, I'm preaching to myself, okay? Um, I find myself at times anxious about money, anxious about bills that I know are coming. Are we going to have that to pay that? You know, those kinds of things. It's easy to do that. And, and in this, this, this past week, even without, even before I was knee-deep into, into working on this message, I, I just felt like God was convicting my heart and saying, you're not trusting me. You're not trusting me. I've got this. You do not. Trust me. And, and, and it's, like, it's like this lesson that I have had to learn over and over and over again in my life. You know? I don't know if you're that way or not. Maybe, you're, maybe you learned the lesson one time. You're good to go. Congratulations. I want to hang out with you. But Jesus warns. It's not just about the love of it, but the anxiety about it too. And here in Luke 12, 15, it says, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. To consist of our possessions is to be defined by what you own and consume. And I think it's, I think it's easy for us to end up there. 
You know, we, we don't mean to. You know, we, we, we have good intentions most of the time in what we're doing. I mean, you know, and I, I, have, I have an entrepreneurial spirit, and I know that. You know, I'm, I'm very keenly aware of that. I love, uh, you know, I did one of those, I remember doing one of those uh, assessments years ago, and one of, one of the things that it said about me was, uh, do not dream dreams with this person unless you want to lose time. In other words, like, I love to dream the dreams with people. I love to, like, hear their thoughts and, like, expand on it and throw ideas and, you know, all of these kinds of things. And, and that's fine and good. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with being an entrepreneur. It's, it's what's happening in our hearts that we have to be careful about. If we lose our wealth and do not have a self left, then our worth or identity is in our money or in the lack thereof. Luke 16, verse 13 says this. It says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You know, we, if we, you know, we, hear, we hear stuff like the, the Pharisees being called lovers of money, and I don't know about you, like I hear that and go, man, I, I, don't, want, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to be a lover of money. I don't want that to be a thing in my life, you know? And then, and then you read that next part. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. And it just makes me, makes me like really think about like what really is my heart? What really is my heart with wanting to excel or to succeed in business or, you know, whatever it is? Where, where is my heart with that? Is it in a good place? Is it in a place that's really just driven by greed? Is it in a place that's just driven by wanting more? You know? Keller says that we do three things with our idols. He says we love them, we trust them, and we obey them. He says if you love it, you daydream, you fantasize about ways to get more of it, new things to buy. If you trust it, it makes us feel safe to have it. It brings us security to get it. Security. There's a word. Obey it means that because we look to it for significance and security, those first two things, we have to have it and become slaves to it we live for it, sacrificing whatever we have to do to have it. Meaning that we will work ourselves literally to death in order, in order to get it. Remember Luke twelve fifteen? he said, Take care, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. We usually don't wonder if we are committing sin with adultery. We know when we're committing sin with adultery. You climb in bed with somebody else's spouse, you know you're not supposed to be there. Keller talks about this. 
great illustration. Greed, on the other hand, we're like, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just getting a paycheck, you know? I'm just, just working a little extra so that we can do a little extra, you know? Again, it's all about watching our hearts. And that's what Jesus is saying in that passage. <clears throat> He's saying, watch out. Take care. Be on your guard because he knew that we would be blind to our own greed. Let's go back to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Zacchaeus in Luke 19 in verse 3. We see this. It says, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is sinner. So Zacchaeus, being short, can't see past the crowd, can't get to Jesus, climbs up in a tree so that he can see Jesus, and in the process of doing so, he is doing something that we're not thinking about. For a grown man to climb up a tree at this point in time he would have been highly ridiculed. He would have been made fun of and so on and so forth. Zacchaeus was putting himself out there. A guy who was largely hated by everybody around him. In fact, at the point when Jesus says, hey, come on down, we're going to your house today. What happens? Everybody around him grumble. They're grumbling. What are they grumbling about? They're mad. They're offended. It's one of our favorite words these days. I'm offended. Right? The people were offended. Why were they offended? They were offended because Jesus comes and, and, and many of these people were believing that He's the Savior and the Messiah. And, and as He's coming through, you know, I'm sure that many of them, like many of us do when you know, we're around someone that's famous or something. We're kind of like hoping that they will see us, know us, you know, kind of thing, recognize us. Last night, got to go with some friends for an anniversary, some folks from church. We went to a comedy club downtown, got to see Pauly Shore. Hey, buddy. Kids have no idea who Pauly Shore is. We talked about this last night. Like, there's no, they have no, unless you have made them watch the movies, they have no idea who Paul Shores. And, uh, man, we had a good time, you know. But you could tell, like, there was, there was you know, I, 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 like, I like watching the people, you know. And, you know, and we're really close to the stage. I mean, closer than I am to any of you, actually, right now. So, I don't know what that means. Like, you want to be further away from me than I was forced to be closer to Polly Shore. Um, whatever. Uh, but uh, we, uh, I was watching the people, and I was watching how, like, some of these people, like, 
you know, wanted so desperately to like connect with him, you know? Zacchaeus was willing to be ridiculed in order to see the Savior. He was willing to be made fun of, and at this point was already super disliked. And when Jesus picked him out of the bunch and said, hey, you're going with me, the rest of these people are like, what? You're going with that guy? The traitor? The guy who takes all of our money? What in the world? They're offended. They're mad. And it goes on in verse 8. And it says this. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And you know what? I think that if we're guilty of anything as a culture, and even as believers, is that we're guilty of labeling people. We all do it. Even if we say we don't mean to or don't want to or whatever, we're guilty of labeling people. And sometimes we just put labels on them. It's like, bad, bad person. Bad person. Bad people. Don't associate. Right? And I'm thinking that's what these folks had done with Zacchaeus to the point that he literally couldn't get to Jesus and was probably actually somewhat scared for his life if he tried to get to Jesus. And I think, how many times do we stand in the way of God wanting to do something in somebody else's life because, we, because we've put a label on them? Folks, the truth is right there. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We want Jesus to only be our friend. We, want, we only want people we like to come to our church. Really? That's what we want? Hmm. I sure hope not. And I know that that's not the heart of most people in this congregation, and I'm grateful for that. Psychias came to Jesus not with his possessions and his identity of importance, but he laid down his pride and he came with humility, willing to be ridiculed. Keller says, ultimately it was not Zacchaeus who asked Jesus into his life, but Jesus who asked Zacchaeus into his. Folks, that's the power of God. God will do something in someone's life if He wants to. Can He use us to be a part of that process? Absolutely. He realized money was a huge issue in his life to the point that he tells Jesus that he's willing to give away 50% of his money 
Now, just kind of going back in time here and, and you know, giving a little perspective to this, uh, the Mosaic Law at this point in time, talking about Old Testament law, would have said, you know, if you're talking about giving, would have been 10%, be a tithe, you know. And so, uh, you know, the, there was like this requirement. Now, uh, the beauty is, is the requirement no longer is. We see that in the New Testament through some different things. I'll share a little bit about that in just a minute. But we see Zacchaeus, willing, his willingness to say, I'll give, I'll give half of everything I've got to help others. And then he goes on and he says, not only that, but if I have cheated someone, then I want to give back a whole lot more. In fact, Mosaic Law even had a rule about that. Don't you wish you lived in Old Testament times? Governed by the rules. I'm so thankful for grace. Mosaic Law, at that point in time, if they were following that, would have said that if you've cheated someone, that you should give them back 20% more than what you took. Zacchaeus was willing to give 300% back from what he took. Jesus says salvation has come to this house. Why? Because his life had been changed. His life had been changed. And I, I think, you know, to apply that in on our lives, you know, again, where's our heart? Zacchaeus' heart was changed, and because it was changed, he wanted to give. Not because he was required to, not because he was told he was supposed to, but because God had changed him. And he recognized that there was something greater going on in the world suddenly other than his own kingdom. Right? It was no longer about how much I could give, but it was about how much can I give. That's a big difference. Jesus had replaced money as Zacchaeus' Savior. There's an excerpt here from the book that I want to read to you. Page 65. And it's discussing deep idols and surface idols. And I, we don't have time for me to read the whole thing, but I want to read a decent little piece here. It says this. It says, you know, we, we, have, we have deep idols. We have root idols. Root sin, a lot of times, that's really the cause of what's going on. And then it, it kind of surfaces as another thing. And we think, oh, well, that thing is the problem. Well, there's really something else going on at the root. I think you can understand that. It says this. It says, surface idols are things such as money, spouse, children, through which our deep idols seek fulfillment. We are often superficial in the analysis of our idol structures, for example, money can be a surface idol that serves to satisfy more foundational impulses. Some people want lots of money as a way to control their world and life. Such people usually don't spend much money and live very modestly. They keep it all safely saved and invested so they can feel completely secure in the world. 
Others want money for access to social circles and to make themselves beautiful and attractive. These, do, these people do spend money on themselves in lavish ways. Other people want money because it gives them so much power over others. In every case, money functions as an idol, and yet, because of, deep, uh, because of various deep idols, it results in very different patterns of behavior. The person using money to serve a deep idol of control will often feel superior to the person using money to attain power or social approval. In every case, however, money idolatry enslaves and distorts lives. Money's not a bad thing. Having stuff is not a bad thing. Being successful is not a bad thing. Our hearts, full of anxiety, worry, and worship toward it, is a bad thing. And here's the thing. It can't be removed. It can only be replaced. Something has to be on that throne. And there is only one who deserves our worship. His name is Jesus. All else is a money pit. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would help us in our lives examine our hearts. Not with just what you've given us and how to be good stewards of that, but also in our desires and our wants and our passions that they would be true and pointed towards you. God, help us to follow you faithfully even, even with our checkbook. God, I pray that, that in all things, Lord, we're thinking of you and your kingdom and God, how you want to use us for it. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would work through us to do what you would have as your will, your plan. God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that we would be a church who would be generous. Not just generous in an offering plate. God, convict us if we need that. But God, I pray that, I pray that we would be generous in how we serve others. And how we give to others. And how we come alongside of others with our time with our talents. God, I pray, Lord, that you would use us to meet needs in others' lives. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be light. I pray that we wouldn't stand in the way of the Zykeuses uh, trying to get to you, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that they would see you clearly through us because we're willing to have a relationship with them when no one else will. God, use us. Use us in their lives. God, for anyone that hasn't trusted in you today, God, I pray, Lord, that they would trust in you today. God, I pray, Lord, that they would receive you as their Savior today. God, I pray, Lord, that they would realize, Lord, that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And God, His name is Jesus. God, we pray that you would do that work in their hearts just as you did in Zykissus. Lord, I pray that you would save them today. God, help them to believe and trust in you for all things. We ask this in your Son's precious name. Amen.